Wednesday, April 15th here in DraftShark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schauff. With me from a distance is Jared Smola. Today we'll be wrapping up our prospect preview mini-series on the pod. We hit the wide receivers two weeks ago. We looked at running backs last week. Both of those shows are available on DraftSharks.com and wherever you retrieve your podcasts from. This episode will combine the quarterbacks and the tight ends because, frankly, we don't feel the need to drag out either position into a full show on its own, especially the tight ends. We'll get to those guys in a few minutes. Of course, most of the guys that we have talked about in the past two episodes and that we will talk about today have free Dynasty scouting reports on DraftSharks.com right now. You can find 34 of those on the site with more coming before we get to the NFL Draft next week. Jared, why don't you tell us a little bit about the guy who got the treatment today? Isaiah Hodgins, uh, wide receiver out of Oregon State. I, I'd sort of been waiting to find like my sleeper in this wide receiver class. And we know it's such a deep class. There's so many guys getting talked about that I hadn't found one yet. But Hodgins is someone that uh, I don't really hear people talking about or writing about. He, I think we, we talked about him briefly on the wide receiver podcast. I hadn't dug into him quite as much at that point. But you know, he definitely checks production box, broke out as a sophomore, put up big raw numbers and market shares this past season. When you look at his measurables, he, he he disappointed in the 40. He ran a 4-6 something in the 40th combine, but he was good in the jumping drills. And that sort of matches the tape. He's not a big separation guy, but Hodgins has some of, if not the best hands in the draft class and is also really good in contested situations. So he, he's definitely someone I'll be interested to see when he goes in the draft and where he lands. Yeah, and I don't know much about him yet. I have not had a chance to read it yet today because I've been getting ready for this show. So I'll be reading that one tonight to try to learn more about him. And of course, whether you're a DS Insider or not, you can check out all of those on DraftSharks.com. As I mentioned, 34 of them as we speak, more are coming. Only DS Insiders, though, are going to have access to our rookie rankings and up-to-date dynasty rankings after the NFL Draft once we know where all these guys are going and finally put them in order for our dynasty rookie drafts and then project them for 2020. So make sure that you're an insider so you can get all that content and be ready for your dynasty leagues. And then, of course, redraft. For today, as I mentioned, we're going to hit the quarterbacks. We're going to hit the tight ends. Neither position nearly as high impact as running back or wide receiver, either in the near term or the long term. But nevertheless, positions that nearly all of us use. Quarterback, we're going to start with. And Jared, I think it's probably a little bit better class this year than last. Last year was pretty much Kyler Murray and then a big gap before everyone else for fantasy. Yeah, definitely a better class this year. I think both from a real life perspective and a you know fantasy potential perspective. I think there's you know these two guys at the top we'll talk about who are pretty sure bets health permitting and then I think there's a few guys beyond that with some upside Dwayne Haskins was a third first rounder last year after Kyler Murray Daniel Jones not especially interesting in fantasy was was Dwayne Haskins I think we have more fantasy interesting guys this year seems like we'll probably get four of them in the first round we will hit on each of those guys and then Jalen Hurts might be most interesting because he seems like he comes with a wide range of possible draft positions yes and I have Hurts ranked ahead of one of those uh, likely first round picks in my in my fantasy rankings I think we might have him in the same spot then, but let's start our top five with probably our shared first quarterback. And I'm going to guess that you have Joe Burrow in the number one spot. I do. You could knock Joe Burrow for the fact that he really was nothing special before this 
past season. He Burrow started his college career at, at Ohio State, couldn't beat out JT Barrett there, who you know has has gone on to, to do nothing as a pro. Um, and then Burrow had a pretty underwhelming 2018 season at LSU. So you know you, you look at him and you could say you know he's this guy who didn't break out until his fifth college season. But then you look at the 2019 numbers. I mean they're they're just stupid. 5,671 passing yards, 60 passing touchdowns versus six interceptions, completed 76% of his passes, averaged 10.8 yards per attempt. He received the highest PFF passing grade since PFF started grading college guys since 2014. You watch him, I think you know he looks like a stud uh, with the accuracy, with the pocket mobility and feel. And then I think he has maybe not underrated, but I think, you know, he has more, more mobility than you might think more rushing upside as a pro than you might think, which is obviously pretty key for fantasy football. Burrow went for 368 rushing yards and five touchdowns this past season. He had 399 rushing yards and seven touchdowns in 2018. Yeah. We all have looked at the numbers at this point beyond the rushing ones that I agree. He has probably more upside in that area than most people realize, but the passing numbers were just stupid. I mean, FBS record, 60 touchdowns, third most passing yards all time. He topped 460 yards and threw five plus touchdowns in each of the national playoff games last year. So I mean, not only did he run through the SEC, but even when they're actually playing the other national title contenders, just put up ridiculous numbers, five straight games without an interception to finish the year. He led the nation in adjusted completion rate, according to PFF, 81.9%, led in deep yards, deep passing. So, I mean, if you want to find a knock, sure, you can find a knock on anybody. We could t- we could yeah. point out that Baker Mayfield couldn't beat out Davis Webb at Texas Tech before he moved on. Uh, Kyler, Kyler Murray had to transfer to find a spot to settle in. But I, I think that when you bounce back from the slow start to the year that Joe Burrow finished with, you know, regardless of the surrounding talent and the quality of coaching and all that, it was just too good a year to discount for a guy that's almost definitely going to be the top pick in the draft. Yeah, and of course, these are pre-draft rankings. So we I think we try not to, you know, bake in where we basically know Burrow is going to land. But I mean, as far as number one picks go, I mean, if you're the number one pick, you're usually landing in a, in a pretty crappy situation. I think Burrow's landing in a really strong situation in Cincinnati. You know, with a head coach, I still have some optimism about and guys like A.J. Green, Tyler Boyd, Joe Mixon. Um, John Ross, you know, so I think it's a situation where Burrow should come in and have some immediate success. Yeah, I don't share your optimism for Zach Taylor, but the surrounding talent, I totally agree with. The receivers are good. Joe Mixon is a good receiving running back along with being a good runner. And even if the coach doesn't work out, I mean, that would probably mean that he's not around for much longer. So I think it's a fine landing spot for Joe Burrow who's, you know, a top prospect and likely to deliver. Next on the list, for me, and I'm assuming you, is Tua Tagovailoa. He took over for Jalen Hurts halfway through the national title game, of course, at the end of 2017, led a comeback win there, and then just pushed Hurts aside and took the starting job at Alabama. Yeah, and put up big numbers in both 2018 as a sophomore and 2019 this past year. Tua would be... He'd be my number one quarterback if we could just erase all of his injuries. But, you know, his injury history is a major, major concern. We know about the dislocated right hip this past November that, you know, has sort of sidelined Tua at least, you know, until the past month or so. And we have been able to see him, you know, get in some some workouts. Um, even beyond that, though, he sprained his right knee in 2018 
He had a high ankle sprain on his, his left ankle in 2018 that needed surgery. He had a high ankle sprain on the other ankle, the right ankle this past season needed surgery on that one. And then we, we got these recent reports from Michael Lombardi, who, you know, ha- has worked in the NFL that Tua has also broken one of his wrists two times. So durability, definitely a concern, but beyond that, I think you, you watch him, you look at the numbers and he he's at least up there with Joe Burrow. I'd even, again, I'd even, you know, rank two ahead of Burrow just based on on-field stuff, not looking at the durability concerns. Yeah, I'm not sure how I would rank those two in that case without all the injuries, but certainly the injuries add concern. But I mean, there's a, like with Burrow, with the concerns we've mentioned for him or the, you know, the nitpicking that you could do, the, the risk doesn't really matter. You can take Tua at this point in your fantasy draft and not worry too much about what happens. Yeah, that's fair. And I guess the reason I'd take Tua over Burrow, you know, injuries aside, is just that we, we, we saw him do it a bit longer at Alabama and at a younger age than Joe Burrow. Mm. As you mentioned, big numbers set single season records with his passing yards and TD passes in 2018 as in his first season starting there. And of course you can get pretty much all this info that we're mentioning in the dynasty scouting reports that Kevin English, our, our buddy did for both Tua and Joe Burrow that are available on the site right now. The completion rate is huge. The yards per attempt were big 11.1 yards per attempt in 2018 um, and was right in that range again before he got hurt in 2019. The the hip injury is the big one that's talked about. The surgeons say that he should be on track for training camp participation if we get training camp this year. He had surgery in November. He was moving well enough to do that virtual pro day uh, recently, and you know he was he was moving around in that one. So on the right track at least. We'll see about the durability durability stuff. I'm not gonna overly concern myself with it for fantasy purposes. Maybe the one thing to see on is how much his situation helped him you know we talk about Burrow being a terrific offense with awesome receivers Tuo's and almost as good an offense with probably even better wide receivers at Alabama yeah that's definitely fair the other note I think about the injuries is what do they do to any rushing upside Tua had you know I think back to 2018 and the rushing numbers weren't weren't huge he had 190 rushing yards and five touchdowns that season but just, just watching him he looked like a guy who you know could give us two to three hundred rushing yards per season in the NFL but you know with all these injuries piling up and then you look at the numbers last year he had just 17 rushing yards in nine games college of course does take sacks away from quarterback rushing production so Tua actually ran for more than than 17 yards but his rushing production definitely took a step back from 2018 to 2019. Yeah, but as you said, it looks like a guy who can move could probably add some more rushing yardage in a situation that might need it a little bit more. I'm, as I said, not overly concerned about the long-term durability because if he doesn't work out in the NFL, whatever, we don't lose that much with a pick in the middle of a, a rookie draft in Dynasty. Yeah. I'm probably not going to be the one drafting Tua in my Dynasty leagues, though. And it's primarily because number three on my list is Jalen Hurts. and This one might depend a bit on draft capital. You know, if he lasts until round three and goes somewhere where he's buried behind somebody whose retirement is not imminent, then maybe I'd knock him down the list. But watching Jalen Hurts, I don't see why he can't be Donovan McNabb or even better in the NFL. I mean, Hurts was better than McNabb in in college completion rate for his career, 65.1%, in yards per attempt, 9.1%, and yards per carry, 5.3%. He was faster than McNabb, a 4.59 in the 40 at the Combine. We could point to Hertz losing the starting job at Alabama to Tua, but, you know, that's somebody who's going early in round one of this draft, and it also overlooks that Jalen Hurts was the starting quarterback for Alabama as a true freshman before that. 
was first team all SEC that year, was freshman of the year for the conference, was a finalist for the Maxwell Award, which is which goes to the nation's top player, took that team to the title game. Big production at Alabama before getting pushed aside for Tua and then going and giving even bigger production at Oklahoma. Yeah, and I have Hurts as quarterback four, which I, I think is higher than his average, but obviously a spot lower than you have him. I mean, I think if I'm going to knock his college passing numbers, it's going to be because he played at Alabama, you know, this this loaded offense, and then Oklahoma, where, you know, every quarterback who plays at Oklahoma under Lincoln Riley has been putting up huge numbers. But still, I think Hurts's passing numbers in college are better than people are giving him credit for, like you said, put up the big numbers at Alabama before losing the job to Tua. And this past season at Oklahoma, 70% completion rate, 11.3 yards per attempt, 32 touchdowns versus just eight interceptions. His 76.9 adjusted completion rate, better than Justin Herbert, better than Jordan Love, who you know are both expected to go in the first round of the draft. Jalen Hurts' passing grade this past season, better than Tua even, also better than Justin Herbert and Jordan Love. But I think why he's so interesting for fantasy and why I don't think it's crazy to even rank him up at quarterback three is that rushing upside. He had 1,800 rushing yards over two seasons at Alabama, his two starting seasons there as a freshman and sophomore. Then this past year, 233 carries, 1,298 rushing yards, and 20 rushing touchdowns, just massive numbers. And, you know, he, he had you know, almost double the rushing production that Kyler Murray had in 2018 in the same Oklahoma offense. And then Hurts goes to the combine, runs a 4-5-9-40, tests as a 96th percentile spark guy. So I think if he does get a, a chance as a pro, and that, that's the question, I think he has a lesser chance of just getting the opportunity than even someone like Justin Herbert. But if, if Hurts does get under center, that rushing ability is going to make him a big-time fantasy factor. Yeah, and I mean, the draft capital definitely matters, but if, say, Justin Herbert goes to, I don't know, Miami in round one or something, and Jalen Hurts goes to the Chargers in round two, I'm probably going to prefer Jalen Hurts in that case because of the rushing stuff. I mean, the the passing is, as you mentioned, it's way better than he probably gets credit for. The 11.3 yards per attempt, 9.4% touchdown rate. We're right up there with Tua's numbers, with Kyler Murray's numbers, with Baker Mayfield's numbers. So, you know, I'm not saying he equals them as a passer, but he's also not a schlub as a passer. And we talked about Tua maybe not needing to run a whole lot at Alabama. Jalen Hurts, in the same offense the year before, he ran for 855 yards and eight touchdowns as a sophomore on a team that had in its backfield Damian Harris, Bo Scarborough, Najee Harris and Josh Jacobs so the guy can run the guy gets running opportunities even if the team doesn't need him to run the ball I think Jalen Hurts really the only missing piece here is getting a starting opportunity early in his NFL career I think if he does he could really be a huge fantasy contributor yeah no argument there the the reason I have Herbert at three over Hurts is because I think obviously with the draft capital Herbert has a better chance to you know get under center and and stick there in the NFL. And th- but then the other reason, I, I don't think the gap between Hertz and Herbert as far as rushing upside is as big as the college production would suggest. I definitely think Hertz is, is a better rushing bet as a pro, but I think Herbert is a guy who like Josh Allen is going to have a lot more rushing upside in the NFL than he did in college. I think for whatever reason, especially this past season, Oregon just did not use Herbert's mobility. Now he did average 23 rushing yards per game over his first two seasons at Oregon, but then his rushing production tailed off after that. But Herbert at the combine, he ran a 4'6", 840 at 6'6", 236 pounds. Just to compare that to Josh Allen, who again, I think, you know, like Herbert didn't show that rushing upside as much in college as we've seen in the NFL. But Allen was 6'5", 237 pounds, so an inch shorter, 
one pound heavier. He ran a 4.75 40. So Herbert beat him by, you know, seven one hundredths of a second. Herbert ended up with a 92nd percentile spark score. So just, you know, a, a notch below Jalen Hurts. So Herbert, I have my questions about him as a passer. Again, I think he's a clear tier below Burrow and Tua. But Herbert, like Hurts, is a guy who, if he gets a starting job and keeps it, I think his rushing ability is going to give him some added fantasy upside. Yeah, and I had him at three, you know, as of this morning ahead of Jalen Hurts. <laughs> I think it's totally going to depend on where they land and exactly what where they're drafted. But I agree with all the upside points that you made. I think just like we mentioned with Josh Allen and last year with Daniel Jones, there's upside to the rushing. He did have between 160 and 200 yards rushing in each of his first three college seasons before dipping in that category last year, 13 career rushing scores. So there was some showing of it, but yeah, once he gets into the NFL and maybe gets a little bit more uncomfortable in the pocket, maybe gets some more rushing opportunities near the goal line. I think there's, upside to his game there I'll be posting his scouting report on Monday so I haven't done a full workup on Herbert yet but plenty of upside and, and he and Hertz are the reasons that this class is, is I think so much better for fantasy than last year's QB group was again I do think Josh Allen is a fair comparison for Herbert just with the mobility and Herbert like Allen has a big arm but he's inconsistent so I think you know in, in a lot of ways they're similar guys and even though Allen I think still has issues as a Real life quarterback, he, he's obviously pretty quickly emerged as a pretty strong fantasy quarterback. And Herbert, for any inconsistency issues, crushed Josh Allen in terms of completion rate in college. Yes, he did. Number five, I'm guessing we share Jordan Love, right? Yep. Big question with Jordan Love is the big change in performance and numbers from his sophomore year to his junior year, the junior year being last season. His yards per attempt were way down, 8.6 to 7.2. His touchdowns are way down. Uh, 32 to 20 and a rate of 7.7% to 4.2%. The interceptions leaped. But I think the key thing to realize if you didn't know it to begin with is that he had some huge changes around him from 2018 to 2019. The entire coaching staff left for Texas Tech after his sophomore year, after his redshirt sophomore year. And he was one of just three returning starters at Utah State in 2019, lost five of the team's top six in receptions, which included each of the top three pass catchers, along with running back Darwin Thompson, tight end Dax Raymond, both of whom moved on to the NFL, and, you know, nearly all of the offensive line. So he he really lost pretty much everything around him. Yeah, and that that's definitely worth noting and factoring in. I don't think that's uh, you know, total excuse for Love's play this past season, which I, I, you know, I still think tailed off quite a bit from what he was in 2018. Um, you look at adjusted completion rate from Pro Football Focus, which you know does take into account drops. Love was just 67th among quarterbacks this past season. He was also 101st in turnover-worthy play rate. So you know, he makes poor decisions or is inaccurate or whatever it is, but you know, he's creating a lot of interception opportunities for the opposing defense. Love also struggled in PFF's grades passing under pressure. So that's a concern going to the next level. All that said, it, you know, I think if Love hits in the NFL, he's going to be a fantasy quarterback we're super interested in because he has the size, he has the big arm and, you know, sort of the aggressive mentality that we want out of our fantasy quarterbacks. And Love's another guy who, you know, should add some value with his legs. He ran a 4.740 at the combine, a pretty nice number for a 
224 pounder and he finished with a 76th percentile spark score so you know he should be able to boost his fantasy value with rushing production yeah he can move like we mentioned with Tua and Justin Herbert and and just watching him he looks like a guy who would rather though just kind of elude pressure and keep his eyes downfield and try to make the big throw rather than run it I mentioned Andrew Luck as like a potential for upside rushing in the NFL versus what he had Mm -hmm. in college but I think maybe Aaron Rodgers might be the better comp Aaron Rodgers averaged 2.1 yards per carry in his two starting seasons at Cal, uh, had only 126 rushing yards in his final year there. Last season in the NFL for him marked his first full year among his 10 full starting seasons where he didn't reach 200 yards rushing. I think that's kind of a template for what Jordan Love could offer as a runner. There are Patrick Mahomes comparisons out there and, you know, I think people throw out that that exists and then they immediately want to dismiss them because nobody's Mahomes. And I I agree that it's not likely that anybody's going to turn into Mahomes. Jordan Love can do some Mahomes things in that he can move. He's probably not as much of a runner as Mahomes was entering the league. He has a strong arm. He also makes impressive throws on the move. It's not like he just wings it on everything. He has nice touch and can throw rolling out to either side. He's like if you combine Patrick Mahomes with Jameis Winston because it's the (laughs) turnover stuff that you mentioned. Sometimes he just – Jordan Love gets in trouble by taking chances downfield that he clearly shouldn't have. And other times he just makes terrible reads, you know, throwing with guys clearly in the path or or at least close enough to getting in the path that he should have seen it before getting rid of the ball. So there's definitely the turnover downside to him. Fortunately, that's more of an issue for his NFL coach to worry about than it is for us, because if he's winging it downfield and throws two interceptions, but three touchdowns in a game, then we will take his Jameis Winston numbers. Yeah, I I think any comparisons to Patrick Mahomes are very disrespectful to Patrick Mahomes. I I think Jameis Winston, Josh Allen, you know, somewhere on that spectrum is the better comparison for for what, you know, Love's ceiling is if he hits at the NFL level. Mm -hmm. I think... It's, it's worth pointing out, too, that he redshirted as a freshman at Utah State, and that's Utah State. That's a fairly low level. And then he yeah. opened his second season behind Kent Myers on the QB depth chart. So didn't start right away at Utah State, still didn't start right away even after the redshirt season. I think, ideally, Jordan Love lands somewhere that he can sit for at least a year behind a veteran quarterback. I think that the optimal landing spot for him would be New Orleans. Yes, I was going to say the same thing. I think if, if he lands with Sean Payton, he'll have a much better chance of hitting at the NFL level. But yeah, I think Love Love is going to be one of the more intriguing storylines of the first round of the draft because it's it's sort of tough to just look at the first round and find a landing spot that makes a, a ton of sense for him. But you know, from everything we've heard, he is expected to be a first rounder. Any other guys that you're watching outside our top five at quarterback? Yeah, I think the last guy to at least keep an eye on where he lands is Jacob Eason, who started his career at Georgia, then ended up going to Washington after he lost his starting job to Jake Fromm, another quarterback in this draft class. But, you know, I think Eason, you know, maybe if your dynasty draft goes five rounds, he's someone to, you know, maybe consider in the fifth. I think Eason to me is like Jordan Love without the athleticism. He has the size, he has the big arm, but he's inconsistent. Again, like Love, he struggles against pressure according to Pro Football Focus's grades. But Eason actually had a better adjusted completion rate than Jordan Love this past season. He had a better PFF passing grade than Jordan Love. He just, again, he doesn't have the athleticism. Eason was a 17th percentile spark guy at the combine. So he he's not going to add any value or he's not going to add much value with his rushing ability as a pro. 
Yeah, I would say unless I'm playing in a super flex league, I'm not drafting anybody beyond the top five in this class, but um, certainly Easton will bear watching for where he does land. Let's move on now to tight end. And before we get to the names, I want to say that I think the way to handle this year's class of rookie tight ends is to avoid it and instead make a trade in your dynasty league for somebody from last year's class who has not broken out yet, like Jace Sternberger, Josh Oliver, Kahale Waring. You could probably even hit the waiver wire and find Caleb Wilson, who is now on the roster in Washington, where there could be opportunity to do something. I think there are also potentially buy targets in Blake Jarwin, Eric Ebron, Gerald Everett. Blake Jarwin is definitely going to be more expensive now than he would have been, you know, a few months ago before he got the new contract from Dallas. But I think that he'll be cheaper than Hayden Hurst and still probably won't be priced like somebody who's going to break out the thing, the way I think he's going to. Yeah, I like Jarwin. Um, Sternberger is my favorite name among those guys you listen. You know, if Sternberger wasn't this class, he, he'd be my tight end one. Um, I, I was just working on it, and I'm totally with you that this tight end class is, is weak. I was just working on my, you know, overall pre-draft dynasty Ricky rankings this morning and and none of these tight ends landed in my top 25 overall so you know we're, we're talking third round of dynasty Ricky drafts before I'd even consider the the top guy on my list yeah I totally agree with that and I, you know that's why I'd, I'd even look into Eric Ebron's price I would look into Gerald Everett's price Gerald Everett I think is is more interesting than he might seem he started breaking out last year then he got hurt and he watched Tyler Higby steal his breakout and do it better but Everett's only going to be 26 and in a contract year when this upcoming season begins. And not to get too far off track here, but I have no idea how to project the Rams this coming season, especially after trading Brandon Cooks. It's been an offense that, you know, under Sean McVay has just relied so heavily on the three wide receiver sets. But I wonder now if they're looking to move more towards two tight end stuff with Higby and Gerald Everett. Yeah, it's it's a challenge, but we'll get back on the tight end track now <laughs> because we kind of have to. This year's class, I think it looks to me like a bunch of Jeff Hiremans and Jacob Hollister's. Oh, that's, that's so sad. Exactly. The two that I have at the top, these two guys look most like NFL tight ends when I watch them, both in size and the way they play. And they're Adam Troutman from Dayton and Cole Komet from Notre Dame. They're, you know, they're both on the bigger side for this class. Troutman dominated market shares receiving for his team. And I mean, you know, he played at Dayton, it's FCS level, but that's what you want if you're looking at a guy who's playing at a lower than FBS level. You want somebody that kind of controls his area of offense. 36.3% receptions, 33.7% of the yards, 42.4% of the TDs. I think, though, he falls short of dominating, at least in the few games I was able to watch of him. He, he doesn't He doesn't look like Dallas Goddard did at South Dakota State on you know his tape it didn't look like a guy that was playing out of place he just looked like a very good player at his level strong blocker that should help him get on the field early in his career but Troutman's not fast enough for me to get excited about his NFL upside yeah I have Troutman ranked third among my tight ends but my top tier is three guys so I just have him at the bottom of that top tier so you know he's he's close to the top spot like you said Troutman honestly like he kind of checks all the boxes you look for you know he had the big raw production and big market shares this past season he was first in pff's receiving grade among tight ends this past year he was tied for third among all combine invite wide receiver or tight ends in yards per route run tested pretty well at the combine with that 67th percentile spark score like you said is solid enough as a blocker to stay on the field i just man i i watched the limited stuff of him at dayton and like he just 
didn't impress me at all, honestly, considering the level of competition he was going up against. So again, may- maybe I'm too low on him just because of the tape. But again, you know, he- he's in this top tier. And if Troutman, if Troutman ends up as the first tight end off the board in the NFL draft, he'll very likely you know, climb to number one in my rankings. Yeah, and I, I don't mean to say that he's a clear one for me. I don't yeah. really have any of these guys ranked. <laughs> it's going to rely heavily on draft capital. Like whoever goes, I don't think that we'll see anybody go in the first two rounds. I would not be surprised if we don't see any of these guys in round three. I mean, I would guess that somebody probably goes in round three, but I think that's where the NFL should probably start looking at this group of tight ends. So I could totally change this set of tight ends depending on where they go, both in the draft and destination. But with, with Troutman, I, I had Komet because, like I said, they both mm-hmm. fit kind of the size profile. They both spent more time in line blocking than a lot of the other guys in this tight end class. Komet didn't produce for a while at Notre Dame. He had just 21 career targets before last season, then 61 targets last season. So, you know, that's partly a knock on him, but he was also on some pretty talented Notre Dame teams before that. I mean, last year he was second behind Chase Claypool and catches and yards and touchdowns way behind Chase Claypool, but still behind him. Just sixth on the team the year before in receptions, but he was working behind Alize Mack, who was a seventh-round pick of the Saints. But in 2017, they also had Durham Smythe at tight end. They had Equinemia St. Brown at wideout. They've had Miles Boykin there in recent seasons. So he was competing, Komet was, with a a lot of pass-catching talent in Notre Dame. Yeah, and it, it sounds like Cole Komet's the favorite to be the first tight end drafted in the NFL draft, and I I think that makes sense. Like, if I'm an NFL GM, he might be atop my tight end rankings. I actually have Cole Komet at number five as far as, you know, dynasty rankings go, but I, I do think he might be the safest tight end prospect in this class. You just look at, you know, the, the size that you mentioned, 6'6", 262. Notre Dame has a pretty solid history of producing NFL tight ends. You just you know, look recently, Kyle Rudolph, Tyler Eifert, you know, has been productive when he's been healthy. Komet tested better than I expected him after watching his tape at the combine. He ran a 4.740, gave him a 107 speed score, which is well above average. Um, he finished with a 77th percentile spark score. He's also still just 21 years old. He's, you know, one of the youngest tight end prospects in this group. So that I think adds some upside. His tape sort of like Troutman did not impress me did not did not get me excited like I could see him being a possession type tight end who you know catches 40 to 50 balls I don't think he's going to give you a you know big yards per catch um, he averaged 11.5 yards per catch at Notre Dame he was just sort of average in yards per route run this past season according to PFF so again I think Komet is pretty safe I I, I don't see him being a, a difference maker as a as a fantasy football guy I definitely agree and I I was kind of wanting to leave him out of my five guys to talk about here even, but mm-hmm. I watched a couple of Komet's games this morning and I was like, Oh, okay. He, he looks like a tight end. This is a class where like old Jason Witten would be atop the class. Like 35 year old Jason Witten would be the number one tight end <laughs> in, in this group. And that's so I watched Komet and I was like, okay, yeah, he does the things that I'm used to seeing a tight end doing in an NFL game. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's fair. Again, I think he's pretty safe, but like, I think I think he would need a lot to go right for him to ever be like a top six tight end in fantasy. Yeah, I agree. So who is your number one tight end? I have Harrison Bryant at number one um, coming out of Florida Atlantic. And again, you know, not to the extent of Adam Troutman, but you have to factor in, you know, the lower level of competition that Bryant played at Florida Atlantic. Although, you know, we just saw Devin Singletary come out of there and, you know, he's had success right away in the NFL. But Bryant was a, you know, he, he produced for his final three seasons at Florida Atlantic. 
408 yards and five touchdowns as a sophomore, bumped up to 662 yards and four scores as a junior, then went for 1,004 yards and seven touchdowns this past season. I think even at Florida Atlantic, a college tight end going for over 1,000 yards is, is pretty impressive. Bryant received a 90-plus PFF receiving grade in each of the past three seasons, the only tight end in the class to do that. His 92.7 receiving grade this past year was second among all tight ends invited to the combine. Bryant led that group of combine tight ends and yards per route run. Again, the lower level of competition is a concern, but Bryant did play Ohio State this past season, caught six passes for 79 yards in that game. I I think he, he definitely looked like he belonged with that elite Ohio State defense. So, you know, that that makes me feel better about him as a pro prospect. Bryant also received pretty strong run blocking grades from PFF. So I think, you know, he's a guy who can stay on the field for all three downs. The concern for me with Bryant is the combine performance. He tested as a 15th percentile spark guy. He sort of struggled in all the drills. So the lack of athleticism is a slight concern. But again, he, you know, he proved he could do it over three years in college and proved he could do it against higher level competition. Yeah, and only a slight concern because I think historically Spark hasn't mattered a whole lot for tight end production in the NFL. I think Bryant might come closest to being like, I don't know, exciting is too strong a word. He, I think yeah. he probably has the most upside of all the guys at this position. He was a tackle in high school until his, his final year there when he moved to tight end. It had some good numbers, including 10 touchdown catches that year. He was also the defensive player of the year for his county as a senior in high school, so he's an athlete. The FAU was his only scholarship offer. He played there as a true freshman. He was all conference each of his final three years, second team as a sophomore, first team each of the final two years, first team AP All-American last year. And he was his team's leading receiver as a senior was Harrison Bryant. The 20.7% market share of team receptions ranked second among all tight ends in this class last season behind only um, Adam Troutman. 233 more receiving yards than his nearest teammate. Bryant was third in the class in market share of receiving yards, just sixth in market share of TDs. So we'd like to see a little bit more reliance on him in that area. But, you know, maybe an NFL team likes him better there. The height's good. He could stand to bulk up a little bit. I I like the blocking. I think he needs to get stronger to do more of it in the NFL. I would bet that, that we get a slow start from Harrison Bryant, but I like the upside on him. Yeah, I mean, I think betting on a slow start for all tight ends and especially in this class is, is sort of a, a fair expectation. So you know, I'm, I, I'm not going to let that ding him in my rankings, but I, but I do agree. I don't think he's a guy who we're going to be looking to for 2020 production. Yeah, I did his dynasty scouting report. So you can check that out on draftsharks.com. That was just a couple days ago too. Who's your next tight end? My second ranked tight end is the other Bryant, Hunter Bryant out of Washington. I watched him and I got Jordan Reed vibes, you know, sort of an undersized tight end, almost a wide receiver playing tight end. Um, so I actually compared Hunter Bryant's measurables to Jordan Reed's. And so Bryant at the combine was 6'2", 248 pounds, ran a 4.74 40 time. Jordan Reed, 6'2", 236 pounds, so 12 pounds lighter, ran a 4.72 40 time. So basically the same speed. So I, I sort of like that comparison. And not to say Bryant will have as big of you know a fantasy impact as Reed did when he was healthy, but I think they're similar types of players. Hunter Bryant's college career, he he really started off hot as a true freshman. I mean, you know, he had he had some big games early on. He had a three-catch 99-yard game, a nine-catch 121-yard game among his first eight college starts. Then he tore his ACL and MCL in that freshman season. The following spring, he tore the meniscus in that same knee. So he ended up only playing five games as a sophomore. 
Um, but then he had a breakout 2019 back, you know, at, at full health, 52 catches, 825 yards, three touchdowns this past season, 15.9 yards per catch for Hunter Bryant. So again, I think that, you know, shows the athleticism he, he brings, especially for the tight end position. Bryant fared well in yards per route run this past season. He was third best among the 18 combine invite tight ends. He was fourth among that group in PFF's receiving grades. And Bryant is only 21 years old. So, you know, like Cole Komet, he's on the younger side. I think that hints at some more upside. Yeah, I think it's going to matter a lot to me where he lands in the NFL. He's going to need to land in an offense that's going to play him more like a receiver than a tight end, especially if we want to see anything from Hunter Bryant early because he's not nearly strong enough to handle much blocking. I mean, there were bl- there are plenty of blocking reps for him. I was watching him for his scouting report that'll be posted tomorrow. He, he had plenty of blocking reps, but even against Pac-10 defensive players, he, he was just getting overpowered regularly in that facet. So if we get a team that runs him, you know, like a slot receiver, then right. there's potential. If any, and if he gets to a spot where he gets high target volume, I didn't get excited by Hunter Bryant, but I agree that he looks like a bigger receiver more than he does a tight end. Yeah, I guess I'm just giving NFL GMs the benefit of the doubt and assuming that whoever drafts him is going to do it to, you know, be a pass catching tight end. Because if you're drafting Hunter Bryant to be a blocker, that's just dumb. But yeah, I, I, I will be curious to see how high he goes in the NFL draft. I think that'll tell us a lot about his uh, involvement in his team's passing game. I did see that Mike Renner of Pro Football Focus said yesterday on Twitter that yesterday, the day before, but said that quote unquote move tight ends are going by the wayside because the NFL has realized that defenses don't respect their blocking in the run game. And in receiving, you can do more with a straight slot receiver than a move tight end. So, you know, again, that was one guy's opinion. I don't, I didn't, he, I didn't see the stats to back it up in terms of playing time and production and all that. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I don't know, maybe it's something to look into more deeply. And that's why I kind of separated these guys into you know, the move tight ends and the the top two that I mentioned that do more of the inline blocking and traditional tight end stuff. You know, I, I think that, that definitely makes sense in theory. So I, I want to argue with Mike on that. And yeah, I, I think again, Komet, Troutman, and I would add Harrison Bryant though, I think are, are three guys who, you know, can be good enough blockers to stay on the field. Mm-hmm. Who else do you have? All right. So my number four is Albert O. I, I was looking up the pronunciation on his name. It's not as hard as you might think. It's O. Kube Bunam. So it's Alberto Kube Bunam. Um, he, a really strange prospect profile. He, as a true freshman at Missouri, he looked like sort of like the next big thing at tight end. Had 29 catches for 415 yards and 11 touchdowns as a true freshman. Was even more productive as a sophomore. 43 catches, 466 yards, and six scores, despite missing four games that season with a shoulder injury. Then Drew Locke left for the NFL this past season. Missouri's passing game sort of went in the tank. Albert O's numbers went in the tank as well. 23 catches, 306 yards, six touchdowns. He missed another game this past season with a shoulder injury, so that might be a slight concern. But I, I think when you look at what he did at the combine, just the size-speed combination, 6'5", 258 pounds, ran a 4'4", 9", 40-yard dash. I think that that alone makes him interesting from a fantasy perspective. And yeah, I think if he hits, probably gives him as much, if not more upside, than any other tight end in this class. Yeah, he's right in the the group with the Bryants for me, uh, and it's really going to depend on 
draft capital. You know, if one of them goes in round five and another one or two go early in round three, then I'm going to lean toward the guys that are going earlier. But like you mentioned, the upside has been there since the beginning of his college career. You really don't like to see somebody fall off from the beginning of their college career to the end, but you can't ignore the factors around them. And I mean, not only did he deliver statistically early on, second team all SEC that year, but he caught 11 touchdowns on a Missouri team that had Jamon Moore at wide receiver, had Emmanuel Hall at wide receiver. You know, Moore got drafted by the Packers. Hall was an undrafted free agent in the NFL. So he was leading these established wideouts in touchdowns. And then, as you mentioned, at the combine, turned in the best speed score of any tight end from not just this year, but the past two classes. And he, Albert O was way ahead of Noah Fant in that category. We look at Noah Fant being a speedy guy. Albert O beat him 449 to 450 while weighing in 17 pounds heavier than Noah Fant. So I don't know if he's going to be something in the NFL, but there's definitely upside and like something that you could cling to with like a fourth round dynasty rookie pick. Better speed score than Noah Fant, better speed score than Evan Ingram, better speed score than OJ Howard. You know, he, he's in elite territory as far as that goes. Now, he didn't do any other drills at the combine. He didn't do any of the jumping drills, didn't do any of the agility drills. And I think if you if you watch Albert O, he he looks like a straight line guy. Like he's not creating separation in his routes, but when he does get downfield, and Missouri did throw to him downfield quite a bit, and he created separation deep. And when he caught the ball deep, no one was catching him. You know, college defensive backs were not catching him. So you know, he definitely plays to that speed, which again, I think at least gives him upside if he hits. Yeah, but I, I, I watched him after knowing all this stuff and was hoping to like him more in yeah. the games that I watched than I did. Yeah, I, I agree. Again, you know, a lot of his stuff was like he would just break wide open and, and catch and run. You don't see him creating a lot on his own. But again, you know, as a as a prospect, a guy who just you know work with those freaky tools, I think he is upside. The last guy I have in this category of the, of the move players to watch is Bryson Hopkins. Mm-hmm. As the son of longtime NFL tackle Brad Hopkins, was a basketball player in high school. Didn't start playing football until his junior year of high school, so probably still developing even more so than some other guys that are his age. A lot of drops in college, 22 career drops among his 152 catchable targets, according to PFF. That's eight more than any other tight end in this class. Also a poor blocker, so those two aspects could make it tougher for him to get on the field early in his career. But fast, had an 87th percentile 40 at Hopkins, 47th percentile three cone. You'd really like to see better than that for somebody who's not a blocker and is more of a receiver. He was a high-volume target, though, in college. Hopkins was third among the 20 tight ends invited to the Combine this year in career receptions with 130, behind only Adam Troutman and Harrison Bryant, who, of course, we mentioned, both went to lower-level schools than Hopkins, who played in the SEC. Yeah, and he he averaged 15.0 yards per catch, which is a a huge number for a tight end. So I think that does hint at the pass-catching upside. Hopkins was fifth among the 18 Combine combine invite tight ends and yards per route run he was seventh in pff's receiving grade so yeah hopkins for me is right in that second tier with guys like albert o and cole Komet. i have him ranked at six but again he could definitely move up based on landing spot and i'm sorry i said sec but big 10 because he went to purdue of course correct anybody else that we didn't get to in your top five one more guy i wanted to know uh, at least talk about here Devin Asiasi out of uh, he actually started his college career at Michigan transferred to UCLA didn't do anything in his one year at Michigan or his first year at UCLA broke out this past year for 44 catches 641 yards four touchdowns that was 14.6 
yards per catch for Asi Asi. He was top six in this tight end group in both yards per outrun and PFF's receiving grade. He's a pretty solid blocker too at 257 pounds. So, you know, he, he, I think he's more in the Cole Komet, Troutman, Harrison Bryant group of guys where, you know, he's a good enough blocker to stay on the field and not just be that pass catching tight end. I agree. I think he showed well on the limited tape I watched for him too. He's atop my list of other guys I want to watch and see where they land to. And really, I mean, this whole class is so fluid that we could see the guys drafted completely in the opposite order of what draft Knicks are ranking the tight ends heading into the NFL draft. Yeah, I could definitely see that. But again, I mean, we just spent, what, 15, 20 minutes talking about all these guys. But I think if you go into your dynasty draft and just plan on not taking a tight end, that, that you'll be just fine. Yeah, I think guys to consider in round five, round six uh, that I want to mention real quick, Dalton Keene, who played Mm -hmm. tight end running back and linebacker in high school, was a high volume running back, grabbed three interceptions as a senior and then didn't get used a whole lot at Virginia Tech. He had just 16 career receptions on passes that that were targeted five plus yards downfield, according to Pro Football Focus. So he tested really well athletically. 80th percentile spark leads this tight end class didn't get an opportunity to show that in college so be curious to see if some team likes the upside on him and takes a shot like Dalton Keene's athletic profile matches him up with Ian Thomas and Lance Kendricks among Mm -hmm. others in mock draftable and then Cincinnati's Josiah DeGuara was somebody else who was interesting a solid blocker above average in that area also topped 200 receptions and 3,000 yards receiving in his final two high school seasons. A three-sport athlete there, so you like the athleticism. He played a lot in line, but also all around the formation at Cincinnati. Second in the class in market share of touchdowns last year, 36.8%. He caught seven of Cincinnati's 19 touchdown passes last, last season while leading the team in receptions. Yeah, and of course, the one guy we haven't mentioned yet is Thaddeus Moss, um, which I think it's fair. I mean, I, I finished my tight end rankings this morning and Moss did not even make my top 10 in this class. I think, you know, he, he's going to garner some buzz because he's Randy Moss's son. And because he played at LSU, you know, put up decent numbers this past season. But when you look at the market shares uh, for Moss in that, you know, high flying LSU offense, they're really not that impressive. Don't think he's a, a big time athlete, although he didn't test at the combine. Um, so I, I think, you know, Moss is someone who is, is going to be overrated in your dynasty rookie draft. I agree. That's going to do it for this quarterback and tight end episode of the podcast. Head over to DraftSharks.com now to listen to the running back and wide receiver previews and to read 34-plus Dynasty scouting reports, Dynasty prospect scouting reports. We'll have more coverage around and following the NFL draft, and then we'll be diving headfirst into the 2020 season very soon thereafter once all these guys have their landing spots and we can project everybody and get ready for our 2020 drafts. You can also find us on Twitter. We are at DraftSharks. Jared is at SmolaDS. I am at ShaufDS. That's S-C-H-A-U-F. For Jared Smola and the rest of the DraftSharks crew, I'm Matt Shaf saying thanks so much for swimming with us. 